turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 15. I want to welcome everyone that could be here tonight. There's some in the balcony, there's some downstairs. I want to thank the deacons who have done a lot of work to try to get everybody in that we could. And God bless you all for coming. And uh, to those that couldn't, Lord willing, we're going to try and do this again. Not wait another six or seven months, but we're going to do it a little sooner. And we want to thank the Lord for this opportunity that before the resurrection ever happens, we can honor Him and remember Him. Mark chapter 15, let's just start reading in verse 1. And straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried Him away and delivered Him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto them, Thou sayest it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answers thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. We could read more, but let's drop down to verse 12 to save some time. And Pilate answered and said again unto him, to them, What will you then that I shall do unto him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceeding, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus, whom when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple 
and plaited a crown of thorns and put it upon his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. That was done mockingly. That wasn't done truthfully. And they smote him on the head with a reed, and they did spit on him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him mockingly. I add that part. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon the Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. I wonder sometimes if that would have been you or I. What a privilege that would have been. And we've got a part to bear even in this hour. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Now, I just noticed that's the part that I'm going to start from. It was the third hour, and they crucified him. I want to speak tonight on six hours, and then finally the seventh. Let's just bow our heads on a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come. Lord, there's no one great here tonight. You alone are the great one. You alone trod the winepress. You alone bore our burdens. You alone are the reason that we're all here. And Father, we want to honor you, and we want to worship you, and we want to remember you. And Father, we ask that you'd make yourself more real, that we could have a greater appreciation for you, a greater love for you, a greater desire to serve you until you call us home. Would you bless everyone that is here? Lord, we remember those that couldn't be here. Brother Harold couldn't be here. He's just a little sore in his throat. We remember him tonight, Lord. Father, we want to remember the sick and the infirmed and those that are carrying great burdens here tonight. Lord, in the cup is everything that we have need of. There's healing. There's deliverance. There's everything. Oh, Father, may it be so that as we even partake of this tonight, we can receive healing and deliverances and peace. Oh, Lord, now would you come and express yourself to us as only you can, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. Today will be a little different. We won't be able to observe the foot washing part. As a result, I'm going to try and take... Not too long a time, but maybe a little more than usual, just on the speaking part. But I want to bring you into a place and an atmosphere by the grace of God. And I, I, I would just say, this is, this is Him, and we want Him to have all the glory and honor. And I, as we do this tonight, I, I want you to think on the person, the personality of Jesus Christ and who He was and who he is yet today. The events leading up to this moment 
were like any other in the course of history. They were among the most important events that mankind would ever know. Without these events happening, there would be no redemption. Without this, the verses of Genesis that were spoken in the Garden of Eden could never be fulfilled, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Without these, it would go right through the Bible up to the book of Revelation, where John would cry out, who is worthy to take the book? But without these events, no one would have been worthy. There was many who had lived their lives before this moment. Their lives would have been lived in vain if this moment wouldn't have happened. There were many that would live their lives after. Those lives would be meaningless except this event had happened first. So as great as this moment was, as significant as this was a striking time that was being played out, very few understood what was happening right in front of them. Those that lived on earth at that time, only a small percentage had even heard the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And of those that had heard, there was only a few that understood the significance of what was happening. And dare say, none could truly comprehend at the moment that it was happening. So to know and to truly comprehend, we can look back today, but I want to look at this a little bit in the form of the moments and the time that happened, because this is one individual who was born on the earth. Heaven had witnessed, the stars had witnessed his birth. The shepherds had come, wise men had come, the scriptures had declared him. Events had happened in his life, and even to the time when his parents took him to Egypt and even to the time they came back and they raised him, seemingly very few people knew of him or what would happen of him. At the age of 12, he went into the synagogue and he so marveled the priests and those with his knowledge of the scriptures, but yet very little was written of him between those years up to the age of 30. But in all of that, God was preparing a vessel for something. He's preparing you and I for something. That vessel was going to house none other than Jehovah himself. That vessel was going to house the most indescribable suffering that one would ever go through. No one would know at this moment the weight that he was carrying. No one would know that this carpenter, this man from Galilee, who had come on the scene just a few years ago, Few could understand the weight of the world that was upon him. Not just the weight of one man's sin, but the sin of mankind. And the penalty of God's justice that had to be poured out. And it had to be poured out on one. In order to be a kinsman redeemer, he had to be innocent. He had to be without spot. He had to be free from guilt. And yet the full wrath of God had to be poured out in order for you and I to go free. So as this punishment, and I want you to think of this punishment for a moment. The worst punishment at that time was that of a crucifixion. 
for a man to be nailed to a cross and hung up on that cross until he died. The way it was done is they would put the nails through the hands, through the feet, and literally the pain was incomprehensible, but they would literally hang there till they, their life slowly seeped out of them. The weight of the, their hands couldn't hold themselves, and they would sink, sink, but to breathe, they'd have to lift themselves up. They'd have to take their feet and catch a breath. And that's why often they broke the feet to finally kill them, so that they would sink and they would suffocate. This was the most despicable death anyone could have. For a man to go through this, he would have to be a criminal of the worst sort. And he would have to be one who would, would have to have done much wrong to suffer this. But this man came to this same death without all of these things. This man came to this death. In fact, the events leading up to this death were even worse than the death itself. He would go through public mocking and humiliation. He would go through a beating. There would be stripes on his back that would tear into the very skin on his back. It was Moses who once had said to God, he said, show me thy glory. And God says, I'll let you look on my back. And Moses saw the back of a man. Now Moses didn't maybe see it in the light of what this was, but this back was going to be full of stripes and full of blood. And he said, as, 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 as this garment would be drenched in blood, and there would end, there'd be a mocking. In fact, it would be given him a crown, a mock crown. But it was a crown of thorns that was pressed into his forehead and into his scalp. And, and as they would whip him with reeds, and they would come around him, and they would spit on him, mocking him. The purple robe they would take off of him and give him his own clothes. They wouldn't stay because the king of glory was to be stripped naked, humiliated. The death would be incomprehensible, unimaginable in terms that human death could be compromised to the worst criminal, but this man didn't even have any of that against him. Isaiah the prophet must have seen something because he wrote, his visage would be marred, and it was in Isaiah chapter 52, and I'm just going to read a few of these scriptures to try and tie this together, but Isaiah would, would say in verse 13, behold, my servant shall, be, shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Schofield would say it this way, the literal rendering is terrible. So marred was the form of man that the effect, the aspect of his appearance was not that of a son of man. Now just think about the death, it could have been a death with a gunshot wound. It, well, they didn't have guns back then. It could have been an arrow. But this was the death that he was given to. It had to be the fullness of the penalty. 
in order that we could receive the fullness of the benefit. Matthew would, would talk a little further in Matthew chapter 26, and he would say in verse 66, he, he, would, he would say this, What think ye, they said, they answered, he's guilty of death, and they spit in his face, they buffeted him, others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is it that smote thee? Now think about this. It's one thing to die physically, but to put up with all of this and not to say a word, to just stand there and to bear it. Think about what, what was in him. He was the king of glory. He was the one who came from glory, came down to dwell with us, and yet he took this upon himself willingly. Isaiah would begin to talk further in Isaiah chapter 53, and he would make these statements in verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And yet to us, he's beautiful Christ. To us, we are the part, the feminine part of him, the beautiful part that he he did not take himself, but he allowed it to be transferred to us. It says in verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. Think about what the priest missed at that moment. Nobody brought up Isaiah chapter 53. This is exactly what's happening. They couldn't see it. They were blinded to it. Here he was, innocent. The punishment and the penalty was undesirable, unthinkable. And he wasn't even guilty. He was perfect. He was the light that was to come into the world. And the world was in darkness. John chapter 1 would declare it this way in verse 3. And it would say, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. Brother Brandon would often take the story of the foot-washed flunky who never washed Jesus' feet. He didn't realize the opportunity that was before him. He didn't take the moment that he could have taken. And Brother Branham says, oh, if I could have washed his feet. If I could have taken that moment. And yet today he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9, it would say this. This was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now just think about this. They were blinded for what? So that you and I, who weren't even part of it, could come in. I need to move along. These events that came, I'm going to turn to the book of Luke chapter 23, and you can, you can turn along in this part. I want to read a little more of this. Luke chapter 23, this is a similar portion to what we read in Mark. 
But it says in verse 1, the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. They began to accuse him. We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. And then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people. Now this is a man who wasn't even in the covenant. He says, I find no fault in this man. Pilate was giving witness. This man has answered truthfully. He's not out here doing anything. I find no fault in this man. Today the reason we can stand is not the reason they could stand in the Old Testament wasn't because of their righteousness, but when they brought that lamb, it was a perfect lamb. It was a lamb without blemish. It was a lamb without fault. Now here in reality stood that lamb. And Pilate had to declare, I find no fault in this man. And in verse 5, they were the more fierce, and he stirred up the people, saying he stirred up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Let's drop down to verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called, now in between, he sends them to Herod, but in between, Pilate, when he called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people, and behold, I have examined him before you, and have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. He says it again, I have found no fault on him. No, not even Herod. He says, for I sent you to him, and no, nothing worthy of death, death is done before him. He was innocent. He was not guilty. But he, he, he didn't even raise his mouth in his own defense. Because if he would have saved himself, he couldn't have saved others. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one to them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, Away with un, release unto us Barabbas, for a certain sedition was made in the city, and for a murder cast into a prison. So Barabbas was the worst of all the criminals. And they desired rather the worst of all the criminals, a murderer, instead of this precious, precious person. They would go on and say, verse 21, sorry, verse 20, Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake unto him. And they cried, said, Crucify, crucify him. And he said unto him the third, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with their voices. So the third time he says, He's innocent, he's done nothing wrong. I found no cause of death in him. It was witnessed by the government. And finally, the voices of the priests prevailed. They laid a hold of him, and they released Jesus unto them. Verse 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary. Now, Brother Brandon would take a text on this. There they crucified him. And this is really getting to where I want to get, which is the last six hours of Jesus' life on earth. These are the events that led up to it. And now he was going to be lifted up, just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, and lifted up for all to see. 
The last six hours of his life on earth would not be spent with his feet on the ground, would not be spent, but it would be hanging on a cross of humiliation under a sentence of death. I want you to just notice this for a minute because in our reading, and this was in Mark chapter 15, and, and we're just turning again back to Mark 15, verse 25. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Are you good with me yet tonight? Are you good tonight? Just stay with me. We're, we want to just take this for a few more moments yet. So in the Jewish history, the hours were measured from sundown, or sorry, from sunup to sundown. So there was 12 hours in the day, and they wouldn't measure it by a clock ticking, but they would divide the daylight into 12 equal portions. And an hour was every portion. And, it, and, you know, because of the way they are, it would be pretty close to 12 hours as we know it. But the third hour would have been 9 a.m. So it was early in the morning that, that, that Pilate had received Jesus. It was early in the morning that he finally released Jesus and that he walked that road on Good Friday down to a place called Golgotha. And it was about 9 a.m. when they hung him on the tree, on the cross of crucifixion. And the Bible would actually declare the time, and it would declare the third hour, and the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. But it, it declares these six hours. And I want just you to think for a moment about these last six hours. <clears throat> As Jesus was hung on the cross, and no doubt as he was on the cross, he was a mortal human being. He suffered rejection. He suffered agony in his body. He was feeling pain. But he had to stay there, knowing that if he left the cross, and the Bible said he could have called legions of angels to take him off, but he had to stay there. The Spirit left him in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he had so purposed that he must fulfill this. And maybe he began to think back on events that had happened that led him to this. Because he was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, he came and he had to fulfill a purpose. I was watching the, the, the film that they have out called The Chosen and, and they document things and, and about Jesus' life on earth. And it may not be exactly that way, but it begins to get you thinking. And there was a scene in there where Jesus, he had lived his life. He had gotten ready. John the Baptist had begun to declare him. And it began to say, this is the Lamb of God. And Jesus was about to enter into his public ministry. And there's a scene there where he comes to the feast at the marriage uh, in Cana. And he comes and he is brought into a place where he has to turn the water to wine. And they're talking and in the background they're talking about how the wine was in earthen vessels in stone. And the reason it had to be in stone and how it was. And once you started engraving stone you couldn't stop it. And they said once Jesus knew that this would begin to be a miracle. And John chapter 2 verse 11 actually declares it. 
It would say, this is the beginning of miracles did in Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So these miracles were with an end goal, with an end purpose. But once they started, you could not stop the events that were about to happen. And maybe he thought about it at that moment. And as he said, and, and there's a scene in this little thing where Jesus puts his water and he says, his hands in the water and he says, Father, I'm ready. Because he knew this would start a cycle that couldn't be stopped. So maybe Jesus thought about this while he was in the cross. Maybe he thought about the time that he was with his disciples. And he, they, they were rallying around him. They wanted a king. And they began to think. But he actually had to speak to them straightly. In Luke chapter 9, verse 44, he would declare to them, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. The Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. And they understood not the saying. And it was hid from them, and they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him anything. Now, he, was, he knew that this was coming. And now he was living this out. He actually went a little bit further in Mark chapter 10. And he tells them not just this, but he says, you know, that the Son of Man must be delivered. But I have to go to Jerusalem. And he says, as they were going to Jerusalem, Jesus went before them. And he began to tell them the things that would happen unto him. Behold, we go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and to the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. He knew this was coming. He knew this was his end. And here he is on the cross now living it out. Maybe he began to think a little bit further because it was just the night before that he had a supper with his disciples. And the Bible would tell us in John chapter 13, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come and that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being end of the devil, having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Simon's son, Jesus knowing, now this is, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. But he still had to go through this. He still had to go through a Calvary. Maybe he thought about the time that the devil had come to him and he was weak and his, he was fasting and the devil had offered him bread, but he resisted it. The devil then had offered him, you know, to fulfill his pride and cast himself down from the temple. And finally, the great thing, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. But he resisted. He says, no, I've got to go to a Calvary first. I don't know what was in his mind as he was there. But he was thinking of everything that brought him. Because everything built to this moment. And he was on the cross. He was hanging there. Maybe as he thought of that last supper... And in Luke chapter 22, verse 13, he thought of how he had spoken to his disciples and they'd made ready for the Passover. I'm going to maybe just not read all of this, but he would say unto them, and, and he, 
he, he, would, he would say, you know, I, well, let's just read verse 14, 15. And, and when the hour was come, he sat down and his 12 apostles with him. And he said, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And for I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks to take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God should come. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave unto them and say, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after the supper. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. When he was doing that, it was going to be just a few, less than a day later, here he was going to be fulfilling on the cross. The disciples didn't know, but he knew and he took all of this upon himself. You know, it was... While he was on the cross, let's just go back to Mark chapter 15. This is our, our reading. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the subscription, verse 20, the subscription over his accusation was written, the king of the Jews, and with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said he was numbered with the transgressors. So there was thoughts that were going on in his head but at the same time, while he's there, he may be coming in, he may be coming out, and, and then he hears these two thieves. Luke actually gives a better indication of this in Luke chapter 23. Luke would, would tell the story in a little, little more accurate, in, in a little more accurate version, but he would say it this way in verse 34. And he says, sorry, I'm on 22. But he would say it this way. And then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you actually take this account and you can read it further, but Jesus, said, they began railing on him. One of them said, you're guilty, you deserve everything you got. And yet he's hanging there, and at the same voice he's saying, Father, forgive them. In his greatest suffering. And then the one on the other hand says, what are you yelling at this guy for? He's done nothing worthy of death. We're worthy of death. We deserve what we begin. He deserves nothing. And Jesus would look over at him and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. All of this while he was on the cross. Friends, none of us have suffered like him, resisting unto blood. None of us have suffered like he suffered. But if we can recognize he bore this for us, he took this for us, he took all of these things upon himself. Luke chapter 9, sorry, Luke chapter 9, if we go, no, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 15, I just want to finish this part. This is now, if I can say it, it was the third hour, and the Bible would say, verse 29, and they passed by, railing on him, wagging their heads, saying, you destroyed the temple, you built it in three days, you saved yourself, you came down from... He says, save yourself and come down from the cross. So while he's there and he's got two thieves, he's got these people down below mocking at him. Ha! Come on, do it! 
and he's going through these great battles, these thoughts in his mind. It's for this hour I came into the world, the creator of heavens and earth. And then he said, he saved others, let Christ the king of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they were crucified with him. They reviled him. And now the Bible says, now the sixth hour was come. He's been hanging there for three hours. And the sixth hour was come, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So the last three hours in the cross, the Bible actually says in the book of Luke, in verse 44, it says, the whole earth was covered with blackness. The whole earth blacked out. It, it couldn't take it. This is the king. The angels were hanging there and saying, we're ready, we're ready, just call us. And he was quiet. And he stood still. And he hung there. And he hung there. And it was just the sixth hour, three hours. I'm not saying this that we feel sorry for him. But I think we need to identify in his sufferings. And if he took all of this, friends, for you and I, what is it that we should give him? He purchased us. He loved us. He knew us. It was in, as he was hanging there, and maybe he looked back, but there was also something in him that began to look forward. And he began to think of, of different things that it would encourage him. It was in Luke chapter 9 when he, you know, in, in, it was when he'd gone up to Mount Transfiguration. And it was there that Peter and John had recognized, uh, and James and John had recognized and seen the Mount Transfiguration experience and seen Moses and Elias. But in Luke chapter 9 verse 30, there was another part of this. The two that appeared when were Moses and Elias. And it was says, who appeared in glory and they spoke of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So Jesus needed to hear whatever Moses, who was translated, and Elijah, who was translated, they needed to, he needed to hear what they were saying. He needed that faith at that hour. He didn't have a super anointing on him, but he had the word of God on him. And he began to think, no, that was God. He spoke, that was spoken to me. This is my lot. This is what I've got to do. It was just the night before that he'd gone into the garden. And it was in John chapter 17 that he began to pray. And it was in verse 8 and he'd prayed these words. To, and he says, for I have given unto them the words that you gave me. They have received them. They have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that you sent me. And I pray for them. I pray not for the world. So this is Jesus when he's alone. I want you to notice this. It was the worst crucifixion, and yet he was innocent. But there was an aspect of this that he was alone. There was nobody with him. And all he had was the word that God had given him. The purpose, the course must be fulfilled. It was actually fulfilled in the garden of Gethsemane. He wanted the cup to be removed from him, but he couldn't. He says, I, I don't want to take this cup, but yet your will. And when he did that, 
That's when the battle was finished. That's when the death had actually set in already. That's when he said, I will lay everything bare. I will give my whole life for them. And he fulfilled it on the cross. And he began to speak. And, and I, you could read this. You know, there's so many wonderful things. But it was down in, in verse 19. Some of the most beautiful words. Now he's not thinking of his suffering anymore, but he's thinking of the glory that's ahead. He's thinking, and if I can go through this, we'll be reconciled again. I'll be together just the same way again. I'll be with them. They'll be with me. And he says, for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they might be sanctified through the truth. Verse 21, that we may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may also be one one. And he says that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which you gave me, that it may, that I have given to them, that we may be one. Friends, that Holy Spirit that comes on you, that came because Jesus prayed for us. Jesus was on the cross, and he was crying, and, and, and even when, when Peter was there, he says, Peter, Satan has desired for you, but I have prayed for you. He drew from the past, but he also drew with what was ahead. These were the last three hours on the cross, but he began to think, and then he says in verse 24, the one thing he asked, Father, I will that they also, that you have given me, may be where I am, that they may behold my glory, that thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now to really see this, this is almost like you say it's different people, but this is the Spirit of God. And the reason this vessel was going through this was because he was thinking of you and I. You know, there's so many parts of this that are beyond comprehension. But it would say in Hebrews chapter 12, and it says for us as an odd admonition, but it says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame, and he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such great contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Tonight when we come and remember him, remember, you don't have to suffer because he suffered for you. Yeah, we identify. There's a portion we got to go through, but we don't have to take the penalty of sin. We don't have to take the penalty of death. In fact, we have already passed from death unto life. That seed is in us now. And whatever we go through, it's only for the molding of our character. It's only that we may be more like him. Isaiah 53. Isaiah would talk about it, and he would say, because he talked about the, this, this, the utter sorrowful life and that he would live. But Isaiah identifies why this happened. It says, he bore our griefs, verse 4. He carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded 
for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we don't do the thing we ought to, even that iniquity was paid for. Even that is still, he's interceding for us when we know to do right and we don't do it. Oh, he suffered in the most unimaginable way, but it was with our end goal in mind. John chapter 19, as we wind our thoughts down, here he is, and John comes to this place. We could read much of this, but I'll just pick it up. Verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garment, made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. The coat was without seam, woven from the top to the bottom. And they said, therefore, amongst themselves, let us not rend it, but let's cast lots for it, that it shall be that the... For, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. And this was done that the scripture might be fulfilled when it said, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldier did. So even as he's hanging there, he's listening to them gambling, talking about his coat and his garment. But he's hanging on a cross. And while he's hanging on a cross, and there stood by the cross of Jesus, of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopius, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciple by whom he loved, he said, Woman, behold thy son. And he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. So he's even speaking of Mary's well-being after he's gone. Now verse 28. After this, Jesus knowing that all these things were now accomplished. Now what? We're nearing the ninth hour. All these things were accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said this, I thirst. And he knew the minute he said that, that the scripture that would come and be fulfilled, that they would give him vinegar. But yet he called for it while he was on the cross. And I thirst. I can't ever think of that verse without thinking of that song. He made the rivers, he made the seas, the clouds and the rain, and yet he cried, I thirst. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar. It was put on a spoon with vinegar, put on his hyssop and put to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Mark chapter 15 would tell it this way. They gave him the vinegar, and it says in verse 33, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He died alone. And some of them that stood by and they said he calls for Elias. They gave him the vinegar, verse 36. 
And then Jesus, verse 37, cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And that was the six hours on the cross. But all this was done because there was a seventh. And there was something that the world didn't see. Because the next thing that happened was there was a veil that was rent in the temple from top to bottom. Matthew 27 says there was an earthquake and many saints arose. And what it doesn't tell us, the Spirit left Jesus and he descended down to hell. And he, there he won his greatest victory. And he goes and tells the devil, the blood is still fresh on the cross, but I have come to redeem those that are held here. And he yanked the... He yanked those keys off of Satan. And he says, I have fought the victory. It's finished. Give me those keys. And that's what released the resurrection. There was a part of the seventh that the world knew nothing about. Six hours of public humiliation. But it was all done for the seventh. Friends, we are in the seventh hour. The world doesn't know what's happening right now. But we are here today honoring the resurrection, honoring what Jesus did. We are honoring in the seventh age is when he comes to take his own home. Jesus on the cross, but we're living it out here. Taking a little longer than I wanted. Let's just have the musicians come. Think about what he did for you. We remember him today. <coughs> How many love him? How many desire to have a greater fellowship with him? Oh, that we may know him. Oh, that we may understand this beautiful one. Brother Andrew spoke this morning and appreciated the message. But there's a beauty that he never took for himself. But there's a beauty that we are able to bear. There was a speckled bird that gave its life and it sprinkled its blood so that the mate could go crying, holy, holy. That's us. And we come to the table reverently. We come to honor him. Amen. Beautiful Christ, beautiful Christ. Beautiful Christ, beautiful Christ, King of my life is He.
We can't see him in all his glory. But I'll say, we can feel it. It's just beyond the veil. That veil that was rent, it, it was blocking and holding off those cherubims from the tree of life, from the Garden of Eden, the holiest of holies. But the fact that it was rent showed that that way was open and we can now have fellowship with Him. I know Brother Andrew sang this this morning, but I'd just like to sing a verse or two of this and then we're going to read the scripture going into the communion. Just beyond the veil. Just beyond the veil I long to see your face Just to see Oh. 